What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard and guest host today, Dot Yarantia. We're talking about a small topic. The topic is, can marketing save the world? To discuss this with us, we have Julie Ng, who's based in Victoria, Canada. Radovan Grezo, who's based in Prague. Oh, such a good city. Radovan's a creative director and Anthea Foyer, although I'm pushing for foyer. Aussies go in early with a nickname and that's such an obvious one. Anthea Foyer, Foyer, who's a sector development officer also based in Canada. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Hello. That's a timid start. We're talking about a bold topic and we're starting in a very, very timid way. Where this actual session came from is a debate in the Sweathead Facebook group about whether marketing can save the world. And it is an interesting thought because there's often a bit of cynicism. Well, it's not rocket science, this thing we do called advertising slash marketing. And yet, you know, some people have taken over countries with really good authoritarian logos. I'm thinking back to Germany in the 1930s, which very good design, not very good outcome. It's an interesting debate. Julie, can marketing save the world? What's your point of view? It's such a big kind of title to say save the world. I wouldn't say it could save the world, but it can change the world because I think marketing particularly strategic marketing, really look at, you know, the strategic solution in communicating a message. That's why it could get people's attention, you know, in order to change people's behavior or perception. And that's why I totally think marketing can change the world. Radovan. I got on this panel because my point of view in the discussion was clear no. First of all, I don't think marketing can do that much to save the world. If you want to save the world, there are much better ways to do it than being in marketing. I think marketing probably should stop trying to save the world. Anthea, what's your point of view? I'm probably with Julie on that it can change things, but I don't know if it can save everything. I don't think there's any one thing in the world that can save everything. And we need all the systems to work together to make any kind of change. And I think the point that uh, I'm looking at is really around kind of back-end systems. So for example, if you look at something like Facebook, 95% of its revenue, its audience is actually advertisers and not users. And I think that's the same for much of social media. Since social media has such a powerful influence on how we think, what we do, how we vote, I feel like there is a role in um, the marketing community to be able to put pressure on those companies to change the way they work, which then can affect society. Julie, why are you saying that marketing can potentially change the world rather than save it? First of all, you know, I totally agree with what Anthea was saying. And then also, you know, with the uh, looking at, let's say, the marketing profession, right? You have to have, let's say, the product or the company or the service first. And then marketing is really a function to send the message strategically. I always focus on the word strategic because, you know, in the old days, traditionally government, nonprofit organizations just send out, you know, the message that we need help or, you know, let's do this. However, I think, you know, strategic planning help to get the message out, get people's attention. And I think that's why, you know, with that attention that you get from the audience, then you can, you know, draw the understanding and then maybe slowly get into the behavioral change pattern. And bit by bit, and then you can, you know, change the society, of course, like change the perception and then um, change the world. You know, I think it's not totally, you know, right away you can save the world, but then you can slowly make changes. That's kind of my outtake. As we get into this, I think we're going to need to define a few words. And one of them is going to be marketing, right? So for me, marketing is the act of taking ideas to market, could be physical, could be intangible. 
And we're going to talk about the four Ps that marketing has traditionally had some oversight of, maybe control of, increasingly not so much. Four Ps being the product, how you price the product, pricing, promotion, how you promote the product, place, how you distribute the product where it's available. Okay. So that's all of marketing. When we're talking about marketing, right, it's actually quite big. It's just that a lot of us really see it as promotion because that's what we see around us. Whether we are marketers or we work with clients who are marketers, marketing has largely become about the social media calendar and maybe some videos. Anthea, I mean, you're involved with like sector development. Tell us a bit about what that is first, and then I've got a question for you. I work for the City of Toronto, and I run an office that provides sector development support for interactive digital media. So that's creative digital media that includes video games, esports, AR and VR, immersive experiences, and emerging technologies. Oh my God. Did you just describe like the dream job? Is that a dream job? Kind of. <laughs> it is. Right? It's pretty great. Toronto, most multicultural city in the world, right? Although Queens, mm-hmm. New York would have an argument about that. And yet also need to point out advertising industry, not that diverse in Toronto. There's research <laughs> about that. And I know a lot of people are working on it, right? Fair enough. So when we're talking about marketing and whether it can change the world, Are you talking about it in its full sense in the way that I outlined it? I was talking about it more in the broader sense of it as an industry, uh, which maybe comes from my mindset of looking things at sort of an industrial level. And so I think the way that you were talking about it was sort of what marketing does. And I was maybe talking about marketing as an industry and the power that it holds in that way. I think maybe to sort of connect some of the dots here as well. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about as I was thinking about this panel was really around the different countries and maybe that it might play a different role if you're in a different country. Because even as I've worked around the world in different places, like, so for example, in Europe, the government tends to have a stronger trust from its citizens. And so therefore, maybe some of the social power that comes through government and not-for-profits might be stronger there. Canada is a bit of a middle ground in that. And then when I work with people in the US, they often have more distrust for the government and more trust in corporations and marketing. So I'm wondering if there might be something around sort of geographical locations in terms of the power and the pull of how marketing works on the society. The Edelman Trust Barometer tracks that particular question. And in the US, there's definitely a looking to businesses to solve problems more than government, various reasons there. But I I think that's true. And then I also think in some of the sort of less, what would we call it, like marketing mature markets, often the companies are owned by such a small percentage of the population and they kind of dominate the entire population. And so there can be more of a didactic approach to marketing. You don't need to be super, super conceptual as well. So a little bit different to what you're talking about, but yes, it definitely differences. Radovan, you want to go for the jugular of purpose? Shall we just let you go for the jugular? Not yet. No, no. Because oh, we're going to warm up. We're going to warm up. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that I was thinking about prior to this conversation, exactly, whether we're really talking about marketing or marketing communication saving the world, because marketing communication saving the world, that's a lot to ask of it. What strikes me interesting, before I became a creative director, I studied accounting. And marketing as a discipline is thinking so highly of itself. Like we're sitting here discussing whether marketing can save the world. And I wonder whether accountants or people in the logistics sit down and discuss whether logistics can save the world. What's the difference, right? Marketing isn't either it's an approach to managing a business or it's a discipline inside of managing businesses or not just businesses, nonprofits, sure. You could ask whether logistics can save the world. And for sure it can because it's polluting the world in a horrible way. In a way, it could save the world. But why are we even discussing whether marketing can save the world? You tell me, I don't know. <laughs> and that, that's where the brand purpose comes in, right? You, you can't be that postmodernist that you just debunk the entire 
premise of the thing that we've come here to discuss today. I know your tricks. I know your tricks. I think at the heart of this is psychology of the people attracted to marketing and advertising. Not all, but many of them are slightly abstract thinkers, not all. But also a lot of people who think for a living and think about the existence of brands and of people, they think about their own existence. And so this idea of saving the world through marketing is often a marketers or someone who works in advertising, their need to feel more meaning in life on the one hand. And also some people who work in these industries a little bit ashamed about working in capitalism. There's like total dissonance with a lot of people where they're like, I earn decent money. I'm fortunate enough to have a job in an advertising agency, but I don't like capitalism. And that's like a difficult thing to bear. Julie and Anthea, why is it something that the marketing industry does tend to talk about other than that there were a few TED Talks and books published about purpose? There's probably a couple of reasons. I mean, not a counter, but maybe just another question, which is the reverse of this one is, can marketing harm the world? And I guess if we think it can harm, we can think it can help. It's got some sort of power in how it works. But I do also think that there is this strange situation where some of being a creative, uh, so my background is an artist, I'm a sculptor, and it is very difficult to make a living as an artist in this world. So a lot of really creative, brilliant people go into marketing. And as you said, they really struggle with this role of how do I be a creative person within this milieu of capitalism? And so I think that it ends up being this strange uh, situation where you do have people within it that do really want to make these changes and have those skills that they can do it. But the bottom line is that they're selling something, whether it's an idea, a product, a company, an organization. And I think that will always be what makes it an interesting space and a powerful space to be because there are those minds that work in this field. And also when I like where Redavan's coming from, totally get it. I think it's hard for some of the hirers, like especially in the agency world, maybe more than the marketing, like the corporate marketing world, but the agency world, a lot of the agencies have to play this game where they appeal to idealism of their employees even though they can't deliver on it, because that's how that person or that group of people are wired. Julie, any thoughts? Not everyone will agree with me, but with my personal experience, I worked in the global agencies, you know, different ones, and I've been a small business owner. I think, you know, when I was working at the global agencies as a strategic planner, I have done many different campaigns, getting awards and all that. I really find that, you know, very satisfying. However, I have that question in my head, you know, why is marketing only helping capitalism, right? So after I kind of uh, sandwiched, I now living in Victoria and, you know, coming to this small community, you know, everything is like, you know, based on relying on volunteers. I never seen a world like this, you know, um, so I, I constantly have this struggle. I uh, look at some nonprofit organizations and they were not doing a very good job in, you know, getting help or, you know, doing whatever they want to be. So I started to get involved and that's why, you know, um, doing a, a volunteering at different nonprofit organizations, I feel like they are lacking of marketing knowledge and skills. So I have been actually trying to do that, you know, in the society that I'm living in and improve in the marketing skills, you know, of the local communities. It's interesting because for the idealists, you scratch under the surface of most not-for-profits and of any corporate company, you're going to find stuff and people and things that you don't like, like pretty quickly. It's hard to sort of have these ideals, which can be energizing and focus us and push us towards good things while feeling hypocritical about that at all times with any set of options that are in front of us. Radovan, is it fair to say, if I can put some words in your mouth, that you are of a much more pragmatic mindset when it comes to the role of marketing, which is Perhaps the definition I gave of it, you know, taking ideas to market where there's some kind of transaction, 
the four Ps is really what it's about and everything else is a distraction and possibly a reckless distraction, wasting time and money. I would agree with that. That also encompasses what I believe. Like marketing, when applied to nonprofits, to organizations whose sole purpose for existence is bettering the world, saving the world, then it can help. It can do positive change. And that's kind of what Antia said as well. Like if you ask, can marketing destroy the world or hurt the world? Absolutely. We've probably all worked for companies on campaigns or on projects that didn't really help the world. They helped the bottom line of the company. And marketing can do harm. It can also do good if it's applied in a company whose purpose for existence is Mm -hmm. creating good. My point of view is really this pragmatic. Like if your job is to sell shampoo, then sell shampoo. Do the best job in the world of selling shampoo and don't try to I call this the whole brand purpose idea and what you just described about, especially agencies trying to cater to the uh, social sensibilities of our employees and at the same time needing to be a, a capitalist machine to create a profit. I feel it's a midlife crisis for people in the industry. And I've been there in my 30s as well. You spent 10 years working in this business, trying to do great things. And then you realize you're basically, you're selling sugar water or you're helping destroy the, the rainforest because you're working for Nestle. And at the time you want to take your professional life and, and recreate it into something else. And then, you know, the digital media revolution helped us believe that we can create something people will want to engage with in advertising instead of forcing it on them in a, a commercial break on TV. And it was a fun five years where we believed that's really how things work. And then we found out that actually doesn't eyeballs count and the amount of people is more important than the amount of time they spend with our advertising initiative. So in the end, marketing works in somebody's service and who's paying the bill. If it's an NGO, then we can help save the world. If it's a multinational corporation, then we're probably not really saving the world. I feel around, for me, it was like 2007, 2008, where the digital departments of agencies started to kind of cross over a little bit more with the mainstream parts of agencies. Here's a little history lesson or not, might, might just be making it up. Uh, and there was a lot of discussion around creating ideas that get advertised, not just ads. We did things like Earth Hour, turn the world's lights off for an hour for WWF, right? It was, it was big and it changed WWF's trajectory in the world. And then there was also a lot of talk about utility. So Zeus Jones did a great job online of kind of getting people to think about creating useful things. And then a lot of us had grown up on the internet and then were then moving into the other parts of the agencies were like used to creating useful things. And then there was a bit of embarrassment. I, I remember seeing it in people more senior than me, a bit of embarrassment about working in advertising. However, what's happened since, which is, I, I think, the school that Radovan's in, if you're in a school, is that there's been so much more popularization or there's an increased awareness in, of the marketing sciences, right, which essentially make our jobs in some ways simpler. And that group of people has debunked the concept of brand purpose. Constant, people are constantly fighting about this stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn. And at the same time, a lot of the stuff that I think is interesting with purpose, the books that I've read, like Drive by Dan Pink or Obliquity by Dan, uh, John Kay, talk about purpose being important for a company to attract employees, not necessarily from a, mar- like a big brand point of view. And then the challenge is that when people discuss or debate this online, again, they're picking their own part of the sentence to have a fight about sort of swinging punches in the air at nobody because someone else is talking about the other part of the sentence. So it is a little bit confusing. Now, Anthony, you work with sector development. Do you feel that the work that you do, the people you work with, are they more pragmatic than idealistic, more idealistic than pragmatic? 
It really depends on the group. I mean, I've had companies that come to me and say, I don't want to hear any proposal you have unless it's going to make me money. And then I have other companies I work with that really believe so deeply in the creative purpose of the the projects they're working on. And that's their ultimate goal and everything in between. I mean, I think one of the interesting things around a sort of sectoral level, though, is being able to look at companies as a whole. So I feel like a lot of what we're talking about is, you know, each individual company and each individual marketing team and the products they're doing. And I know it's a very competitive sector, but, you know, the marketing sector, if it comes together as a group and then perhaps does things like works with government to change systems or laws that would change those products or change some of those things that are, are more harmful to societies or that role between society and marketing companies. Because I mean, marketing companies are also one of the reasons they work is because they can read what people want. And so as you know, mores are changing within society, you know, those roles of pushing back and forward at scale. I don't know how organized that is currently, but you know, if there were ways for the marketing community to engage and lobby and to make changes on those larger scales, if those can have effects that are more than just one specific product, but rather on a on a larger scale. What's an example of something that you think would be good to lobby for? So a European example would be around there's the GDPR laws, which really focus on having privacy and control by citizens as opposed to corporations. And so those uh, put more power back in the hands of the citizens. And so the marketing teams need to work with those changes. So any changes that happen across the platforms, they need to kind of be part of that. But on a broader scale, if they're saying like having people feel comfortable with their privacy and their data, if we decide as a whole that that's a goal that's important, then maybe as marketing industry, we go to our governments and say, you know, this is something we would like to implement because we think it's better for society. And I know that's a very idealistic way to look at it, but but it is possible with the scope and scale of the marketing industry because it is such a big one that it does have the power if it chooses to, to be able to kind of make those large changes on that way. And then maybe on a more society um, side, I mean, we're looking at changes with things like, um, you know, body size of models. I mean, more and more we're seeing different body sizes, which we never did a few years ago. And that's really, I think, a push from the community and from society. And then marketers are reflecting that back in the work that they do. So I think there's different ways that those can kind of go back and forth and be shifted as a a mass idea, as opposed to a one-off each individual organization. Let's chat about purpose. I want to get your quick points of view on this and we'll separate quote unquote brand purpose from purpose purpose. A lot of the research that's out there, again, might have been debunked, but it's documented in Obliquity by John K. Drive by Dan Pink. But there's tracking of companies and CEOs who talked about maximizing shareholder value versus CEOs who talked about some higher order benefit. Okay, Now, the higher order benefit doesn't have to be, and I think where some of this falls apart is often the higher order benefit has to feel really noble to people who believe in a certain type of politics as well. That's kind of what goes on, right? What was found is companies that are not just about maximizing shareholder value tend to outperform companies that are about maximizing shareholder value. That's purpose. And one of the reasons is because they can attract talent to solve interesting problems. Okay. But Ivan, has that been debunked? I don't know, to be honest. What I wonder is whether it's actually lived purpose or just declared purpose. You have the same thing in politics. Authoritarian politician will win by saying, I want to hold all the power and make your lives miserable and take away your freedoms. They talk about prosperity, but is it delivered in the end? 
If you spend your days trying to get into people's heads, but are interested in strategy classes, books, and events that get into your head, visit sweathead.com. You can pick up the Kickstarter-funded book, Strategy Is Your Words, by me. Find out about our monthly membership, online classes, and the company training that we do. Yes, this was an ad, a gentle, gentle ad. Back to the interview. So let's talk about brand purpose. How would you define brand purpose, rather? Brand purpose is the belief that a brand has to deliver something else than its actual benefit of the product. Simple definition of purpose for me is like how we help people. Brand purpose, how we help people, but in a way that is probably connected to product, but is like so high order that a lot of people would be like, what are you talking about? Julie, do you have a point of view on the definition, Anthea? I don't really have a definition. However, I think, you know, there are a few terms that you mentioned earlier, uh, social responsibility. And also, you know, most of the companies, of course, you know, the, let's say the CEOs are responsible to maximize or to, you know, protect the shareholders value. However, for any brands that, you know, um, don't take care of, you know, let's say the society or don't have the vision to take responsibility, you know, to build a better community. I think those brands will not last. So if you look at a lot of the companies, big companies, big brands, you know, they also, you know, try to do different ways now, you know, environmental sustainability is such a big topic. Many brands, you know, popular brands, major brands, they are also, you know, having a new department in their company specifically take care of uh, environmental sustainability because they know that this is what people care about. One new perspective I also want to bring is, you know, I look at strategists in marketing like psychologists. So I think traditionally people do marketing just like, you know, the authority, you know, let's say the government or whatever, you know, they just kind of put in a policy and then the society will take it. However, with the uh, let's say the growth of social media, you know, internet, you know, and all the social space, I think suddenly, you know, the power is in everybody's hand. So it means that, you know, in the old days, a lot of the governments or authorities could just make changes in a society. But because the power is now given to the people and people who have any social connection, the society has changed. And that's why it is still, you know, important for companies to do things that will take care of the society. But at the same time, I think a critique of the idea that marketing can change or save the world. Personally, I think marketing can change the world. Otherwise, what are we doing? It's just how noble and to what degree and in whose favor. But have you found, Julie, in your career that you've, you've had times where you've struggled with that dissonance of trying to understand other people's psychology, but then not always being honest with your own psychology. Like, you know that you're helping a company sell some stuff that maybe the world doesn't need, which is probably a lot of it. And you've had to tell yourself that you're doing some like noble work. Have you ever caught yourself in that little cycle, that loop? Yes, I have done, you know, uh, things that don't kind of agree with my internal self. I have turned down businesses because I don't agree with the company's value. And that's why, you know, I turned down the business. Not everyone agree with me, but, you know, I think at that time I was trying to protect the shareholders value. But as long as I could reporting to, let's say, the worldwide CEO, as long as I could bring back some business, you know, after I turn down the business that I don't agree with and then gain businesses and convince other companies that I could help them to do better in, you know, whatever they do, then I think it is fine. So it comes down to a personal value as well. Anthea, any point of view on brand purpose? 
It's just I'm thinking about the connection to the the products themselves. You know, I think marketers can sell anything. I mean, my seahorse collection when I was a small child is proof of that, that we can sell anything. But if the product, the company that's asking us to do the marketing and the, like I'm thinking of something like a Patagonia, they do seem to live their value of what they're producing and what they're making and what they're selling. And that makes it a little easier to have that sort of purpose-driven value towards it as opposed to just taking the marketing and putting it on top and separating that. So I think it mm. needs to have the connection to whatever is being sold to be able to have any sort of valuable purpose to it. Radovan, do you think Patagonia is a good example of getting this stuff right? That sense of nobility and purpose, but also selling product? It is for two reasons. It comes from the founder of the company. So it's not something that was instilled later on. It comes from the founder who says, this is what I want to do. And at the same time, I don't believe that they never done anything that would harm the nature, but I believe in the honesty of their purpose in general. Then again, Patagonia is about one-tenth of the market size of the North Face. So strictly adhering to such a brand purpose is going to limit your growth potential, is what I believe. I think the founders of North Face and Patagonia were friends a long time ago. I think I, re- I watched an interview with the CEO of Patagonia like 12 years ago where he said, I believe that if I can get people out into nature, they'll want to protect it. But who knows if he came up with that later? I mean, I think he's an outdoors person. So that might have been something that was instilled in him at a young yeah. age. I think he started the company with this in mind. I don't think he came around after you know 15 years of doing business or 30 years of doing business and then noticing that people care about the environment. I think that that really comes from his beliefs. When you start a company with a belief that you want to change the world or, or one marketplace, then you can do it. And then it can be part of who you are as a brand. Do you all have an example of brand purpose gone wrong? where it just seems disconnected from the product, it's generic, maybe even patronizing to the audience, harmed the business? My favorite miscalculation of brand purpose is Pepsi. Pepsi about, I don't know, 10 years ago when they decided not to do a Super Bowl commercial and use the money to create change in the world. A couple of years later, they found out that even if their marketing budget is $100 million, that's nothing. Like when, when you start repaving roads with that kind of budget, you will end up with one little village and you can't really affect a large enough change with just your communication budget. I think I was in a building around that time, just above where that was made. But I think that was, that's literally the generation of like, we've got to do something useful with the money, right? But then research either came out or was became better known, which shows that if you're in a well-established category, your share of voice needs to be greater than share of market to grow. And putting all that money into the digital world would have taken the brand away from people who were watching television more or watching some of the older channels more often, right? Is that what happened? Yeah. Any other examples of noble marketing gone wrong? No, I, I have a favorite example of a brand purpose that worked, surprisingly, even though I don't really believe in the purpose, but Dove and the campaign for real beauty. That for me is a great example of a huge company that is destroying the environment in some aspects, like the plastic packaging and, and all that. But that was a campaign that actually spoke to me and spoke to the consumers and brought a, a meaningful change of perspective that was in line with the product category. Julia and Anthea, any examples of brand purpose gone wrong or gone really well? I can't think of anything specific, but I just know that when I I see campaigns that seem to be spending more money on the campaign than we actually to fix the problem, sometimes those feel like they've gone a little bit off the rails. And I guess one of the questions I've been thinking about when Radovan was talking was around really like how much of a change does it need to be? 
what are the goals for the marketing? Because if the goal is just to make money, that's one thing. But if they do have, you know, we want to make some change. But as you're saying with Dove, the campaign was fantastic, but their products are still putting plastics and this and that into the world. So is there kind of a space where some movement is good, any movement is good, no movement is good? And maybe it's a bit more of a gray area than than all good or all bad for these things, but more of that kind of push towards the direction? There's one example that I kind of uh, thought of is that I can't remember. It's one of the big coffee brands that, you know, trying to, or if it's just happening in Victoria or, you know, in Canada or other parts of the world, that they are charging money for, you know, people using paper cups. That has been a big noise in my society here because, you know, uh, your coffee shop, but if you, you know, you said you're protecting the environment by charging people, you know, money for the paper cups. And then, you know, because of COVID, people can use their own cups. So people were kind of, you know, in the society, people kind of, like, okay, so are you trying to be safe, you know, to protect the community or you're trying to protect the environment? So at that time, you know, there was some controversial discussion in the community. That's something that maybe is the wrong move or, you know, somehow, you know, it, it was the wrong timing. So sometimes, you know, even though you're doing things that is in one area is protecting the environment or being noble about, you know, protecting the brand purpose. But then on the other hand, you might be hurting the brand because of the wrong timing or, you know, the wrong message. Okay. The final question for me is this. If part of what's going on with this search for nobility is not just about your psychology, it's not just about projecting an identity into the world to be popular, right? Which those two things drive a lot of what we are about as humans. If it's also a quest for meaning and a quest for meaning that somehow reconciles this issue that some people have with being in a capitalistic society where there are losers and there are winners. You've been in the industry for some time. You've probably been through different cycles yourselves. You've seen other people go through these cycles of struggling with like, what am I doing? Rather than trying to like sell shampoo through a ridiculously noble brand purpose, how might you talk to your younger selves about finding a place for idealism or finding a place for meaning in your work? The way I look at it now is what I'm doing by selling shampoo is I'm helping create jobs. If I can create jobs by selling products on a larger scale, that's all the positive impact in the wider uh, society that I can have. And that's fine. And then I can do things on the side of my job. Like, you know, I write books. I can volunteer. I like to make this a little funny joke when I'm out with friends who are also from advertising. You know, at the end of the night, there's this discussion who pays for the bill. And I always say, like, take your dirty money made in advertising. I pay for this. So I take my dirty money made in advertising and I can use that to support noble causes and kiosks. You have your own little Ponzi scheme going on there. I like it. Uh, Julie? There's one statement that I believe, you know, is that marketing brings hopes and dreams to people and society. Life is a journey. So even though, you know, you are helping, let's say, different companies to protect their bottom line, or you might not be directly helping the society or the planet. But if you're doing your job and then helping in a positive way, I think that's just the way to go. Just continue doing what you enjoy and be positive about you know every step that you make. Anthea? I mean, I come from a slightly different sector because I work for government. So um, my job is about workforce development. I have the opportunity to work with companies and provide diversity and inclusion and access into these, these companies and develop those workforces and to do some broad scale change around climate change and around other kind of social activities. So 
my job is pretty helping a community and, and helping an industry at the same time. So uh, I get to feel pretty good about that in my day-to-day work. Any questions, Dot? I have one question. Is it just me or is it that when brands talk about their brand purpose, I get super skeptical? Like I understand, yes, you want to save the trees or you want to give shoes to kids in Africa, but are you really doing that? And is it a good idea? It's the, the Tom's uh, conundrum, yeah, yeah. right? They don't really yeah. need shoes. And the local shoemakers are going out of business because people get shoes for free from Tom's. At the same time, it's very comfy shoes. At the same time, we know that this is a large company and, and to operate on such a scale, you probably can't really just do the best for the, the whole world and you have to do some shitty things to get to that scale and defend your scale. You know, please, Wall Street. That's why Patagonia kind of rings true to me because you can believe that they really believe in this. They actually do things that are helping the world and they're, they're going against their own bottom line very often, I think. Then it became such a fashionable thing to have a brand purpose and everybody wanted one. And the, the world's polluters in the world suddenly wanted to have a brand purpose and save the world. And the simplest solution to that would be like, well, stop doing that. Dot, you had such a good question. You know, maybe I'm a, such a positive person. You know, I look at it that, that way. Okay, let's say brands, you know, say, you know, they protect the environment, they go plant trees. And usually they don't, but they bring, you know, a few employees, maybe just plant one or two. Then to me, that's still one or two trees more on the planet. So even though they might not be really doing it, but at least it motivates them to do small steps, small actions, and that still counts. I think I can probably see a little bit of both. Like I know I've seen some, you know, you'll see an ad and it is so good and it brings you to tears. And then the logo comes up at the end and suddenly your heart's just like, oh, that doesn't feel right now, even though that was beautiful. Um, But then there's also those just kind of like the more we see, you know, different faces, the more we see different kinds of relationships, you know, being Pride Month, you know, the more we see these things, we do sort of come to accept things as we see them more. So I think there's value and power in that. But I think there is a fine line and a lot of people are pretty media savvy. So you do have that moment where you're like, you're just selling me, you know, something, even though you've got this additional purpose to it. And I think that's where it can get really convoluted and, and complicated as to where the that power lies. But I think I think a lot of people are fairly savvy when they see, you know, an oil company that's somehow promoting something that's clearly not the direction they're going. Can I just highlight from the chat, Madhu wrote a great thing, which kind of aligns with what Julian and uh, Tia were talking about. When you think of this marketing saving the world and, and brand purpose as, as a long game, and you look at it not as making a lot of changes quickly, but small changes and walking in the right direction, you can feel quite optimistic about it. It's easier to find meaning in your work now because overall there is a shift towards sustainability. Shampoos be not caring about the environment at all. Then it was recyclable packaging, which people believed is recycled. That's the marketing lie we introduced to that, but it, it was recyclable. Now it's recycled. And hopefully soon they will move on to something that's even better than recycled plastic. Theophilus, a creative strategist, I'm a freelancer in New York. I was just thinking about the idea of a brand purpose versus like a brand appearing to have an altruistic purpose. And I think Dad was talking a lot about that, about the idea of like, are you really doing what you say you do? And then a deeper question, which is why the appearance of it? Almost like saying, um, you know, I planted a million trees and yet like I made that like my newest banner to showcase to everyone else. 
So it kind of gets to what is the true altruistic nature? And there's a question that dawned on me while all of this is being talked about. Because I was like, you know, there's the what you're doing and then like there's like the why you're doing it. And I guess we can never fully see that behind a brand, but it's something to note to say, well, what is the push within this purpose versus do you truly care about the purpose behind it? Some companies are really changing their models so that profit isn't their only uh, bottom line. I mean, there's definitely some that are still maintaining that, but there are ones that are changing that. And I think that's where you can start to look at the corporation and say, oh, you, you do value um, sustainability, for example, because you've actually put that into your bottom line of what you're looking for. So the movement on profit is the same as the movement on sustainability. There's two conflicting approaches in moral philosophy on this topic. One question is whether it's more important to really hold the belief or acting on the belief. To me, it's less important whether the company really believes in what, what it's doing or whether they're doing it just because the market now expects it. A company the size of Nestle, if they decide to stop using plastics or if they decide to stop using palm oil, it's going to have a much larger effect on the environment and on the world if they do it just purely because it's now cheaper not to use plastics, for instance. It's going to have a much larger impact than if tiny small brand does it out of the conviction of their pure hearts. To me, it's more important that when Nestle stops using millions and millions of tons of plastics for the wrong reason than when a small company stops using five kilos of plastic uh, for the right reason. I don't want to be too theoretical, but then when we talk about brand, brand is like a person, but it lives much longer than a person. That's why time can tell. So any brand can do small things, but you know, if they are only trying to do, you know, have short-term gains, then you know, it will show. Eventually, time will tell. Many companies, whatever, you know, they can focus on doing small things and then, you know, focus on a short-term profit or, you know, short-term game, whatever it is. However, it wouldn't last and people will find out. So time will always, you know, tell if, you know, they're not having the genuine uh, purpose, you know, um, to do good uh, and be positive in the society. Do you think that if there's a long-term brand, do you think they could change? A brand is like a person. Um, they could change their attitude, psychology, behavior. So. Yes. Thank you all for being here today. I, I think some of the points that we would mostly agree on, if you are feeling a sense of idealism, first of all, totally fine. Most people around you probably won't get it, but it's totally fine to be idealistic as long as it turns into pragmatic action. That's number one. Number two is if you're interested in purpose, please try to wrap your head around the fundamentals of marketing and building brands. You can Google that. There's probably five to 10 key principles that a lot of academics talk about quite often. And then if you're going to talk about purpose, work out whether you're talking about brand purpose or just purpose being at the heart of the business or government sector, right? Also, I think what we're hearing is the real power play is trying to build change into the systems rather than the thing that speaks about the systems. And then finally, you got to work out especially if you're a bit young and a bit idealistic and you're surrounded by social media talking about people changing the world. And you're like, I want to change the world. You've got to work out your own dissonance or work through those phases of dissonance where you're like, I love doing strategy or I love coming up with ideas, but I'm working in a capitalistic system, a society, and you're going to have to work that out. So that's your journey. Julie Ng, Radovan Grezo, and Anthea Foyer, Foyer, joking. Thank you very much for joining Dot Garantia and myself on Sweathead today. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Peace.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events, and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at Sweathead.